Diversity is easy. You can make conscious decision to hire, you know, more minorities, more women, but inclusion is so hard, right? Yeah. It's making people feel welcome once mm -hmm. they're on board. We've got good news and bad news for the tech sector. First, the good. A report released in March shows that amid our tech talent shortage, the number of women of color with tech-related skills is rising. In 2021, that number increased by 100,000 women, or roughly 4%. The bad news? The share of tech jobs held by women of color has only increased by about 1% in the last decade. Hi, I'm Mike Curran, and today on Let's Converge, we're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, the all-hallowed DEI. We're also talking about one organization fighting to make security teams more diverse and thus keeping all of us safer. That organization is NPower. That's capital N, capital P, O-W-E-R. And it was their data I was quoting just now. Since launching in 2000, NPower has trained more than 6,000 students from underserved communities and underrepresented demographic groups, including veterans and persons of color. Based in Brooklyn, but with programs all over the country, this nonprofit trains new workers just entering the job market and mid-career professionals looking for a change. Joining us today is Nelson Abbott, Senior Director of Advanced Program Operations at NPower. Welcome to the podcast, Nelson. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So moving right in, I mean, diversity is a word that gets thrown around a lot these days. Sometimes it seems more like a, a little more of a buzzword, but in this case, it's more than that. Why is diversifying the world of cybersecurity so important? So, yeah, I think that's a great question. And, I, you know, I agree with you that I think it's been such a, a, a topic of discussion for so long that it is kind of getting that buzzword feel to it. But it really is so important, especially in cybersecurity, right? The world is a diverse place. Um, the problems and the and the challenges that cybersecurity teams are tackling are growing every day. And you really need that diversity of thought that helps create creative solutions to uh, tackling these challenges. And that diversity of thought is, you know, is developed through our life experiences, right? Women are going to have a different experience than men. Black folks are going to have different experience than white folks, um, mm -hmm. and so forth and so on. And you're not going to yeah. get that diversity of thought unless you expand the diversity of your teams. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. But when we talk about diversity here, it's not just for appearance sake. There's a functional aspect to it. Yeah, exactly. There's tons of research around this, right? Showing that more diverse teams have higher profit margins, they work together better, they come up with better solutions that are longer lasting, right? And so it's, it's you know, for folks that are kind of more like, give me the numbers, like there's data for that. You can just kind of Google diverse team outcomes and find scores of research around this, right? Mm -hmm. But then mm -hmm. like to kind of dig in further as we talk about diversity, especially within cyber, you know, some stats that we, that we got from a Fortinet survey, only 24% of the cybersecurity workforce is female, right? But they're mm -hmm. half of the world's population, yeah. right? 9% of the cyber workforce is African-American, mm -hmm. but they're, you know, 20% of the, of the population across the U.S. and only 4% is Hispanic, right? So again, mm -hmm. you're not getting that diversity of thought, right? And not really being representative, as you said, of the people that are dealing with these challenges, whether yeah. it's large organizations or individuals like grandma right. and grandma grandpa or your friends and neighbors. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Let's just talk about NPower. 
I mean, how, sure. does, how does Empower work? I mean, where does it find people with potential <laughs> interest in cybersecurity and how does it nurture that interest? Absolutely. So I think, you know, the one thing I do want to highlight is all of our training programs are free of charge. So there's no tuition cost for any of our participants. And we really like to look at ourselves as an end-to-end talent provider, right? So we have entry-level programs for people that are just starting out. And then the cyber and cloud programs that I oversee for folks that are more seasoned in their careers, right? And as trainees move through our program, you know, they're learning their CompTIA A-plus skills. They're getting hands-on labs and lectures around those cyber concepts and terminology. And then we also expand on the in-class content that we've developed with guest speakers from our corporate partners. And they come in and they'll do a deep dive on forensics uh, or a red team activity or just general, like how to navigate your technology career advice. So really just kind of do full 360 introduction, deep dive exposure to cyber professionals. Okay. And where do you find folks that you know that have that passion for cybersecurity and want to become part of and get trained at Empower? Where, where's your demographic that you find these folks and get them interested? You know, we really champion ourselves as a provider of diverse talent. So we focus on young adults age 18 to 26 at the Mm -hmm. entry point and Mm -hmm. military connected. And military connected is kind of an umbrella term that we use to include uh, reservists, active duty, transitioning service members, veterans and military spouses. And really just, you know, word of mouth is, is kind of the biggest pipeline. If someone goes through the program, they have an amazing experience. They tell their friends, families, um, and stuff like that. And okay. um, I think that, you know, cybersecurity is just only increased in visibility and, you know, popularity as a career field that people want to pursue. Tell me about the veterans. That's a specific group that Empower works with pretty closely. I mean, what sort of hurdles do they face when they enter the tech world? I think the biggest thing that they face is really just kind of translating military speak into civilian speak, right? It's the one thing that we see the most common challenge that our program teams work with, with our, with our military connected trainees. But what's really great is that they are extremely well suited, right? They're coming with that military mindset, that defense mindset. Um, They're strategic. So they're already kind of coming in with that, that, that headspace around how do we defend this arena, right? So it's just really helping them translate, you know, a lot of military jargon into into civilian terminology and being able to translate the skills, right? Leadership for folks that have worked either in intelligence or in technology, just being able to translate that work experience into, you know, corporate terms. In an average year, how many folks are ready to be hired? So across all of our programs, that's including, you know, all three of our programs, which is Tech Fundamentals, Cyber and Cloud, we train around 1,500 trainees per year. Um, We've also been working with high school students, right, to really kind of plant Mm -hmm. that seed earlier in the pipeline, about 600 uh, high school students a year. So we're looking at just over 2,000 people per year that we are enrolling and training. And then for our cyber program, we recently just increased our headcount. We're now going to be doing 120 trainees per year. I'm curious about the folks that are doing the training. Tell me about about those folks. Is it is it a volunteer activity or people taking their time or tell me about the teachers? 
All of our instructors are paid, so they're on our payroll. We have an in-house pool of instructors, and we have in-house curriculum that we have developed in cooperation with our corporate partners. So everything we do is industry informed. So it's kind of a it's kind of a quid pro quo situation in that you know we recognize that there is this talent gap in the IT and cyberspace, mm-hmm. and there is this untapped pool of talent that is super excited about technology, but just didn't have the opportunities to pursue it. And so how can we help both of these um, populations meet? So, you know, helping lift up folks that don't have access to IT careers, get them up to speed, and then helping our corporate partners fill those talent gaps. Now, we recently celebrated Women of Color and Tech Day. Can you talk a bit about the research that Empower has conducted looking into this particular demographic? That is an initiative called Command Shift, which is our Women of mm-hmm. Color in Tech initiative. For anyone that's interested, you can go to our website, which is npower.org, and um, look on under the Engage uh, tab and, and get more detailed information. But the kind of thumbnail sketch of that is they did this amazing research where they found that only 5% of the technology workforce is women of color. And they, their goal that they set for themselves is to increase that number to 10% by the year 2030. Mm-hmm. Um, so they launched in 2020. And since then, that number has grown from 5% to 7%. They just did a presentation, kind of a town hall meeting where they updated their progress over the last three years. So they've helped contribute to that you know, increase in 2%. So it's slow, but steady. And we are currently working on developing a uh, another training program targeted specifically to women of color who are in tech adjacent roles. Think of a call center manager, yeah. right? So they are technology fluent. They use technology in their day-to-day job, but it may not be IT or cyber specific, but confident that with the right training, they're able to take that knowledge and skill base and transition into a more, you know, technology, you know, like hands-on keyboard facing technology role or a mm-hmm. management or a project management type of role. I'm cognizant to make sure any, if anyone's listening to the podcast and they fall into the demographic that you described to be part of Empower from a student standpoint and the certification process, how do they get in touch? I mean, do they just go to the website or how would they get in touch so they could become a student? Yeah, absolutely. So they go to empower.org and then right on that front page, there's an apply section. And once you hover over that, it'll drop down to all of our programs. So as I mentioned, there's tech fundamentals for folks that are just starting out. We have cyber and cloud for folks that have a little bit more experience. And then most recently, we have SkillBridge, which is a Department of Defense partnership where we are training transitioning service members that are within six months of discharging from their active duty and training them in cybersecurity. So they are getting that cyber security curriculum as well um and it's um it's it's virtual for this cohort but it's going to be on base training for those folks that are going to be transitioning so let's talk about the businesses what are the basic steps for corporations to take right now to get involved with empower we have historically relied on internships over the years um, and that's a great way for our trainees to kind of get that initial hands-on exposure on the job kind of training and mentorship But recently, we've been um, really pushing apprenticeships. Apprenticeships, especially for cybersecurity, is a great way to kind of onboard and ramp people up. We always say here at Empower that 
entry-level cyber roles are not entry-level IT roles. And you got to bring either a certain level of skill and knowledge or experience to kind of hit the ground running, even for entry-level cyber roles. And apprenticeships are a great way to do that because you can take someone that kind of have those basic skills and that are trainable, right? Mm -hmm. And hungry to learn more. And then over a course of six months, get them acclimated, get them trained, maybe get them some additional certifications that we don't offer and get them really ready to um, potentially transition into a full-time role. Business leaders sometimes they shoot themselves in the foot by creating, you know, job descriptions or requirements that you know they disqualify worthy candidates. I mean, one that comes to mind is maybe a bachelor's degree requirement or something that yep. just certainly wouldn't be applicable. But um, can you give some examples of that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my favorite example is you see an entry level security analyst role that requires a CISSP certification, right? Okay. So why does an entry level role need a management level certification? that requires a minimum of five years experience in the field, mm. right? And then I think there was, I remember a tweet going around about a year or two ago, and it was a gentleman who had created a technology tool that was shared on GitHub. And, you know, and he was like, I just applied for a job that requires five years in a, in a technology that I just created two years ago. <laughs> so, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of disconnect between the talent acquisition teams and the cyber managers and them just not communicating with each other, right? So I'm working on developing a toolkit to help hiring managers craft really good job descriptions and foster that communication between the cyber leaders and the talent acquisition team. I get that like, hey, if you want to move into like management and senior level roles, you may have to go back to school and, and get some education. But for those entry to mid-level roles, like you're cutting out it can be as much as 60% of potential candidates. And then, you know, going even deeper than that to, to the diversity aspect, you start cutting out like, you know, 70% of African-Americans and like 80% of Hispanic candidates. And every conversation that I have anecdotally with hiring managers, they never talk about college degree. When we ask them, what do you look for? They're like, yeah. we want someone that's a good team player. We want someone right. that's a good communicator and someone that is a good learner. Yeah. Right? And that's, yeah. you know, the, the skill of being able to learn is going to be the most valuable skill in, in the future. Right. So, yeah. And, and intellectual curiosity. Yes. Like, you know, that's super important. And you don't know, obviously, you don't get that out of a four year degree all the time. You know, as we talk about DEI, you know, certainly part of it is the attraction of diverse talent. But another big part of it is making that diverse talent feel included and welcome at the company. Yeah. The inclusion part uh, of that sometimes gets overlooked. The one thing I kind of like to preach is that diversity is easy. You can make conscious decision to hire, you know, more minorities, more women, but inclusion is so hard, right? Yeah. It's making people feel welcome mm -hmm. once they're onboarded, right? And so, um, so it's like walking this fine line of like, hey, we need to be flexible in our onboarding approach to kind of cater to all of the different life experiences of candidates that are coming to us without making them feel like a diversity hire at the same time. Huge point. Huge point. I think a lot of companies, they look at and they solely focus on the hiring. And then they realize that they're, you know, the talent isn't resonating here. It's not an environment where they can thrive in. Yeah. And it's hard. It's a hard, you know, I'm putting on my anthropology hat here. But like when you look at how uh, society has kind of kept people separated and in their little silos, cultural yeah. silos, it's so hard to break out of that and kind of think broader than your life experience, right? So Yeah. yeah the graduates of 
of N Power? Where do they go to bigger corporations or startups, or is it 50-50? Is it any kind of industry? We are headquartered out here in Brooklyn. So with due to our proximity to Wall Street, we have a lot of finance uh, engagement out here. But City is a great example, right? We started off with them many, many years ago, and they would take one or two folks. And now that partnership has expanded where they take dozens of interns and apprenticeships twice, you know, every cohort, which is twice a year across the country. Um, We also work with like managed service providers like WWT is another big partner and they kind of contract out folks to various companies. Um, We also work with federal organizations. Federal Reserve Bank is actually another partner that we've worked with over the years. You know, we have a spectrum of talent. And so we try to have a spectrum of opportunities from large corporations to small local nonprofits that that'll be a good fit for any of our trainees. Like you mentioned earlier, all the digital transformation that's going around. I mean, every company is a tech company right now. That's for yeah. Sure. yeah, that's for sure. So, Nelson, this has been great. Congratulations on your all, all your success. The best is yet to come with Empower. So keep up the great work, Nelson. Thank you. I've been talking with Nelson Abbott, Senior Director of Advanced Program Operations at Empower. If you'd like to read more about Empower and its work as a cybersecurity training pipeline, check out Focal Point, Tanium's online cyber news magazine. We've got links to several articles in the show notes or visit Tanium.com. To hear more conversations with today's top business leaders and security experts, make sure to subscribe to Let's Converge on your favorite podcast app. And if you liked this episode, please give us a five-star rating. Thanks for listening. We look forward to sharing more cyber insights on the next episode of Let's Converge. Let's Converge.